fries on the envelope that I'm making. Love, Martha. Irma wrote back to Martha. Dear Martha, I'm writing this on the back of an old shopping list. Pay no attention to the coffee and jelly stains. I'm 20 minutes late getting my daughter up for school, packing a lunch with one hand. On the phone with the dog pound, seems old rough needs bailing out again. I burnt my arm on the curling iron when I was trying to make those cute curly fries that you keep talking about. Still can't find the scissors to cut some snowflakes. Tried using a disposable razor, which only managed to trash my tablecloth. (laughs) Tried that cranberry thing that you told me about, but the frozen cranberries mushed up after I defrosted them in the microwave. Oh, and don't use fruity pebbles as a substitute for that Rice Krispie snowball recipe unless you happen to like a disgusting shade of green. The smoke alarm is now going off, Martha. I'm going to talk to you later. Love. Irma, my guess is, my hunch is that your Christmas probably sounded more like Irma's than Martha's. We all have a picture of a perfect Christmas in our mind, don't we? In fact, um, resplendent is an excellent word to describe the sanctuary this morning. It's also sort of the image that we have in our mind, a resplendent Christmas. Isn't that a Martha Stewart kind of thing? Have a very resplendent Christmas. Yes, sort of a beauteous Christmas, uh, a Christmas filled with perfection. But the truth is, even though we have this perfect Christmas in our minds, kids get sick and people lose their jobs and we lose friends and we lose loved ones. And some of us, we simply struggle or are struggling through our first Christmas without them. Trouble doesn't take a holiday, even at Christmas. And that shouldn't surprise us. Even the first Christmas wasn't a picture-perfect image, was it? I mean, Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, is born in the hay barn, not in a hospital. He's born in a manger out back, not inside the warmth of an inn. Even the first Christmas wasn't picture-perfect. The text you just heard Tommy read isn't an easy one to hear on the heels of Christmas, is it? I mean, just as soon as the angels have finished singing in Matthew's gospel and the shepherds have have departed, there's trouble afoot. From far away, a group of magi, a group of wise men come seeking the child born king of the Jews whose star rose in the western sky. And after a two-year trek... These men finally reached Jerusalem and inquire of King Herod as to the location of the child king. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open them up to Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. If you don't have your Bible with you, right in front of you in the pew is a pew Bible. It's a red book. Open that up to Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. I want to give you the preceding verses to the text that you heard this morning. This is important. I'd like you to follow along with me. Matthew says there in chapter 2, verse 3, when King Herod heard this, that is the news of a child born a king, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. 
And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may go also and pay homage. Now, in the time of Jesus' birth in Judea, there is only one king. Do you know the name of that king? His name is Caesar. His name is Caesar. Herod is only given the title king because he promises to keep the peace in Judea, an area of the world that was known to be full of rioting and full of all sorts of violence. Herod is only king because he promises to keep the peace in Judea. And this child-born king is nothing to Herod but a threat. Herod only wants to know where the child is so that he can eliminate him. Let me be a little more specific. Commit infanticide. Murder him. Kill him. Because no one is king, as far as Herod is concerned, except Caesar. And when Herod realizes that he has missed the opportunity to use the Magi to bring him to the child king, he begins to slaughter every child in the region under the age of two. Herod Herod was that sort of a king. Josephus, the Jewish writer and historian, stated that Herod never stopped avenging and punishing every day those who had chosen to be party of his enemies. So the Messiah, Jesus Christ, at age two, maybe just 18 months, is an enemy of the state. And Jesus' family, can you imagine this? Jesus' family, under the cover of darkness, has to smuggle him out of the country into Egypt of all places for safe haven. Meanwhile, the wailing of mothers fills the streets of Bethlehem as Jeremiah's prophecy is fulfilled. That sort of ruins the pastoral images of Christ's birth, doesn't it? That sort of interrupts the cute nativity with the three wise men bearing their frankincense gold And myrrh at the nativity scene. This is the part of the Christmas story that isn't so safe for the whole family. It's not pretty and it certainly doesn't sit well with our romanticized versions of the world into which Christ was born. We like to believe that 2,000 years ago that the world was very different. That politics weren't such a big deal. That the economy didn't matter as much. But the truth is, the world that Christ is born into is very much like ours. It is full of violence. It is full of pain. It is full of brokenness and turmoil. The world into which Christ is born is very much like ours. And Christ's birth only does more to upset the order of the day. Christ comes into the world as God's chosen king, the one who is to bring about peace, justice, and the kingdom of God. And so all earthly kings who put their power and their privilege first are terrified. And Herod is just one example, but certainly not the only example. He is so terrified of the promise 
that God will in this child restore peace and justice, that he is willing to slaughter the infants of the whole region. So Joseph has to sneak his child out to Egypt. That's a grim account of what the early years of Christ's life must have been like. It's a grim account of wholesale massacre and night flights to safety, and it would all seem so far-fetched if it were not so similar to the atrocities and the tragedies that are happening in our world right now. I mean, how many families, for instance, are being dislocated in Syria this morning as we've gathered for worship? How many families cower in fear in South Sudan as armed men clash in the streets? How many children are being starved to death around the world as we finish up and throw away our holiday leftovers? And how many families right here in Statesboro are struggling with their own private hardships and sorrows? How many on your street... How many in your neighborhood are dealing with addiction? Who are dealing with abusive homes? How many on your street are having to make hard choices about their family and their finances and their future? The world that Christ is born into is very much like our own. So while the story that Matthew tells may be dark and difficult, it isn't in the slightest bit far-fetched. The world we live in is not simple. Our lives are not easy. Even the most secure of us deals with brokenness and heartache and pain. And this is why Matthew tells this story to let us know that Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us, But in Him, God did indeed draw near to us, took on our lot, took on our life, and experienced and endured everything that we did, disappointment, fear, violence, and even death. Also, that we would know that in this life and in this world, that we are not alone. That we do not suffer alone, that we do not fear alone, that we do not live and die alone alone. That is the message of Christmas, friends. That in the darkness of this world, God has come so that we might not be alone. That we might be gathered in. That we might be held firmly in the palm of His hand. Sometimes life is beautiful and wonderful and filled with goodness and peace. And that is an incredible blessing from God. God is part of that. God blesses us and celebrates with us and for us in those times. But sometimes life is painful and hard and difficult and disappointing and filled with heartache. And God is part of that as well. Holding on to us. Comforting us. Blessing us with the promise that God will stay with us through the good and through the bad and through everything in between. Drawing us more and more deeply into God's loving embrace. And promising that nothing, not even death, will separate us from God. This child that is born unto us is Emmanuel. 
God with us in the good, in the bad, in the heartache, in the joy, in the pain. That's the promise. And that is the beauty of Christmas. And the wonderful thing is, is that God calls us to do just what He did. To not simply sit on the sidelines and watch the world happen around us. But to go and meet those who are hungry and those who are suffering and those who are sick and those who are beat down by life. To not simply enjoy God's presence with us, but to share that presence with others that the whole world might know the love and grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and we are called to be God's presence with others in this world. For some of us, that means sharing God's presence in our homes. For some of us, that means sharing God's presence and peace in our workplaces. For some of us, that means doing something extraordinary, like going on a mission trip or going just down the street to feed that homeless person or that hungry family. Christ is born to us, Emmanuel, God with us. May you as God's people not simply hear the story of Christ's birth, but embody the story and share the story with the world around you. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, we give you thanks that you are Emmanuel, God with us. That you have not set this world in motion to simply step away, but are concerned with every moment of our lives. So God, we ask now that you would give us the same concern for the world in which we live. Help us to not sit idly by, but instead to embody the grace of peace, love, and hope that you bring each of us so the world might know your name and your renown. God, be with us this morning. Show us that, how we might be more faithful followers of you. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.